It was the 11th day of the 11th month at 11 a.m. 100 years ago in 1918. That was the official time of the armistice. Ending what was called then the war to end all wars. That's what they called World War I. Well, in case you haven't consulted the calendar, today is the 11th day of the 11th month. And it's just a little bit past 11 a.m. It was known as Armistice Day. That is, until 1954. And that's when it was officially, officially renamed as Veterans Day. To honor all the veterans of all the wars. It was an afternoon in the early summer of that war. And there was a strange quiet on the battlefield in Europe. In the bright sunshine, the air was balmy and had a breath of a garden in it. And by some grotesque miracle, the singing of a bird was heard somewhere near. On the firing step, with his rifle lying in a groove in a parapet, stood a private soldier. He was wearing a uniform of field gray and stained with mud and with blood. On his face, so young and yet strangely marked with the lines of war that made him look old, was a wistful, a faraway expression. He was enjoying the sunshine and the quiet of this strange lull in the firing. The heavy guns had been silent. There was no sound to break the eerie stillness. And suddenly, from nowhere, a butterfly fluttered into view and alighted itself on the ground near the end of his rifle. It was a strange visitor to the battleground. So out of place, so out of keeping with this grim setting, the setting of rifles and bayonets and barbed wire and parapets, shell holes and twisted bodies. But there it was. A gorgeous creature with wings like gold leaf, swaying in the warm breath of spring. As the war-weary youngster watched the butterfly, he was no longer a private in field gray. He was a boy once more, fresh and clean, swinging through a field in sunny Saxony. He was once again knee-deep in clover and buttercups and daisies. And this strange visitor to the front-line trench recalled to him the joys of his boyhood. A time when he had collected butterflies. It spoke to him of days of peace, and it was a symbol of the lovelier things of life. 
It was the emblem of the eternal. It was a reminder that there was still beauty and there was still peace in the world. That somewhere there was color and fragility and perfume and flowers. He forgot the enemy a few hundred yards across no man's land. He forgot the danger and the privation and the suffering. He forgot everything as he watched that butterfly with all the hunger in his heart, with all the resurrection of dreams and visions he thought were gone, he reached out his hand slowly toward the butterfly. His fingers moved cautiously, ever so cautiously, lest he frighten away that visitor to the battlefield. But in showing one kind of caution, he forgot another. The butterfly was just beyond his reach. And so he stretched, forgetting that there were watchful eyes waiting for a target. He brought himself out slowly, with infinite care and with patience. He had just a little distance to go, and then, ding, 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 a sniper's bullet found its mark. And those stretching fingers relaxed and they dropped flat on the ground. For a private soldier in field gray, the war was over. An official bulletin that afternoon said all was quiet on the Western Front. And for a boy in field gray, it was a quiet no guns would ever break. You might have heard that expression, all was quiet on the Western Front. It comes from a novel written in 1928. The novel was entitled, All Quiet on the Western Front. It makes clear the common soldier's reaction to shellfire. Hunger, fear, sickness, and danger. But that brief excerpt, folks, it teaches us a valuable lesson. There's always a risk when you reach out for the better things in life. Reaching out for the better and lovelier things in life involves a risk. And it involves a risk that you and I cannot escape. And it's that risk that makes living for Jesus. It's that risk that makes the Christian life exciting. There are folks in our day and time that are abnormally afraid of risking something. They're afflicted with a modern disease. The psychiatrists have some heavy names for 
those who are afflicted with the sundry phobias that afflict us humans today. Agoraphobia. That's a fear of open spaces. Claustrophobia. That's the fear of being shut in. Acrophobia. That's the fear of heights. There are many people who are afraid to climb. And because they are afraid to climb, they will not leave the ground. They won't get up on the roof of a building or in a tower or on a mountain. To be on any elevation and look down, it makes them dizzy. It literally strikes terror into their hearts. They're afraid of things that are high. They have acrophobia. But folks, acrophobia is not only the fear of high mountains or high monuments or rooftops. Acrophobia can also be the fear of high ideals, high thoughts, and high ambitions. There are timid souls. Those who are afraid and avoid high places because they're afraid. And there are others that avoid high ideals and high aspirations because they're content with low ones. And then there are other people that just don't have high ambitions because they're just plain lazy. Our text this morning speaks to the idea of risk. And it comes from Psalms 107, verses 23 and 24. They that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. The Jews were not a seafaring people. They dreaded the sea. And to them it was menacing and mysterious. To become a voyager on the sea was something that was the supreme risk as far as the Jews were concerned. It meant goodbye to home and goodbye to loved ones. It meant goodbye to familiar scenes and to familiar friends. It meant giving up the worship of the synagogue. It meant giving up the temple. It meant homesickness. It meant seasickness. And perhaps death at last among the crawling things at the bottom of the sea. Maybe that's why John from his island of Patmos, with his glimpse of the way that glory would be, he said there was... No more see. But in that passage, when he says, They that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters, they see the great works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. The psalmist is saying that to win anything worth the winning, we have to risk something. And not only that, as a general rule, the less we venture, the less our hopes of winning. And the more we dare, the greater our returns. There is a sense in which all of us are gamblers. 
Well, we may not go to the boats. We may not buy lottery tickets. We may not have any poker chips or cards. Do you have life insurance? You're betting you're going to die, and the insurance company's betting you're going to live. You got fire insurance on your house? You're betting your house is going to catch on fire. The insurance company's betting it didn't. We're all gamblers. Going to a restaurant involves a gamble. Did you ever get in a car with a, with a stranger? Oh, no. My, my mother told me don't ever ride with a stranger. You got in a taxi cab, didn't you? Can you imagine getting in a taxi cab? Somebody you've never met before. Somebody you wouldn't know if you saw them on the street. And you just willingly get in their car and say, take me somewhere. Last time you got on an airplane, did you go up to the cockpit and introduce you to the pilot and say, uh, you're the pilot, I'm Tim Perkins, glad to meet you. You, you, you do know what you're doing. No. You trust that that guy has passed all of his courses and, and you trust that he's competent to fly the airplane. What's disconcerting is you get on one of these little commuter airlines and you see the pilot get on, walk through the plane and he's got a book, How to Fly in 12 Easy Lessons, and there's a bookmark in the middle. Everything we do involves a gamble. That's kind of what keeps life interesting. It's a risk to be born. I thought about that just a few months ago when young Mason came into the world. He has no visible means of support. He has no marketable skills. And his part of the national debt is almost $50,000. And you think about that and let that soak in. And being born, that's a risk that we weren't consulted about. If we had been, some might not have made the venture. And I'm persuaded that there are a number of folks I've met in this life that if it was left up to them to decide whether to be born as a man or a woman or as one of the lower orders of life, I've known folks I think might choose the latter. I mean, when you think about it, over at my house are three cats that have a pretty good deal. Somehow, every day, food magically disappears in their bowl. And in some way, water is magically there. And they have a warm, dry place to sleep. They're well taken care of. And they really have no risks. None whatsoever. And I, I'm, I'm convinced there's some folks I know that would... And I know people that have dogs that have a better deal than my cats have. And there's some folks that left to their own devices would have chosen to be born one of the lower orders of life rather than a man or a woman. Think about that. I think you can make some strong arguments on both sides. There's much to be said against the adventure of being born a human soul. I heard of a man one time who said, and he cried out. He said, oh wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? A great saint was one time heard to say, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. 
And then there was another man of God who stood in the presence of death and pitifully said, if a man dies, shall he live again? But look at the outcome of those men. A bit later, Paul was shouting, I thank God through Jesus Christ. And David said, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. And Job said, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Living involves risk. And being a Christian involves risk. Jesus actually took a risk on the cross for me, for you. He gave up His life for sinful men. He believed that men and women, in spite of sin, people like me and you, He believed we were capable of being saved. He believed that this whole world, in spite of its terrible evils, could be remade into a new world. Jesus actually staked His all on that fact. And then there are those that have staked their all on the value of self-seeking. Some have won fame and fortune, and on the whole, after finding fame and fortune, they have found life to be grandly disappointing. And Jesus tells us about a rich farmer in Luke chapter 12 who staked everything on the faith that he could look after himself. He gambled everything on the fact that he could take care of himself. And guess what? Look what happened. He lost. While his barns were bursting, he led a starved life. And he left this life with pockets as empty as the pockets of a shroud. And if you've ever actually looked at a shroud, they have no pockets. And not only did he leave this life with empty pockets, God referred to him as a fool. And God said, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. And who shall all these things be which thou possessest? When you see folks that are worn, tired, restless, and fed up, you'll find those who believe life's Biggest business is to look out for number one. And then you see others. Those who've been just mad enough to stake everything on God. And those who staked everything on God, those alone have won. Centuries ago, a man named Abraham was gripped by a conviction that God wanted him to leave his homeland and go to an unknown land. It was a mad and crazy adventure to be sure, but he went. And for long years it looked like Abraham was going to have nothing but disappointment. But he never gave up. And he never looked back. He dared to reach for the promises of God and he became known as the friend of God. And he became a blessing to his own generation and to succeeding generations even down to today. Paul was a man that was not afraid 
of the risk of reach. Consider what he said in Philippians chapter 3 verses 13 and 14. He said, forgetting the things that are behind and reaching forth to the things that are before, I press toward the prize for the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You remember our private soldier in field gray? He forgot the battlefield. He forgot the sniper. He forgot everything except that butterfly. And with every fiber of his being, he's reaching for that butterfly. Paul said, I'm forgetting everything that's in the past. I'm forgetting everything that's behind me. And with everything I've got, I'm stretching my hand. I'm reaching forth. I reach for the things out in front of me and I press on toward the prize for the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And Paul, in his writings, is constantly pleading with first century Christians to set their affections on things above. He wanted them to set their affections on high things and lofty concepts. It's often difficult for us, isn't it? It's difficult for us to sometimes transfer our affections to the higher things and the more lofty concepts. We're entering that time of the year that is my favorite season of the year. When I was a little boy, it was even more so. Because I remember going to the big Sears store. And on the third floor of that Sears store was Toyland. And it always opened the Friday after Thanksgiving. And oh my, there were electric trains. And there was everything a child could want. And there was Santa Claus sitting there and you could go tell him what you wanted. I always looked forward to Toyland. Well, isn't that the way some of us still are as adults? This world with all of its baubles is our toy land. And we can't set our affections on things above and we can't reach to the higher, more lofty concepts of life because we have fallen in love with toy land. And our playthings have become so dear to us. It's difficult for us to see this life is just a preparation for a more glorious life that's to come. And what we must do, we must reach out and we must not be afraid of the risk of reach. And to realize our purpose here is not to enjoy ourselves and have a good time. And our purpose here is not to make money and be happy and live in ease and comfort. That's not what this life is all about. We must be willing to reach out for the things of God. We must not be afraid of the risk of reaching out to those things that are before. Let's be standing together this morning. Are you reaching out today for the things of God? Are you reaching with every fiber of your being to be what God would have you to be?
if you're not doing that. And if you need to make changes, whether it's to become a Christian and put the Lord on in baptism or to come back and say, Father, forgive me. I want to live better. This is your opportunity to do that.